Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have The Hangover, starring Bradley Cooper, Ed Helms, and Zach Galifianakis, written by John Lucas and Scott Moore, and directed by Todd Phillips. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time for a new film review cask. Uh, this one we're going to call, we could all use a good laugh right now, dabbling into the comedy genre, which is something we haven't done on this, the 66th episode of Rye Smile Films. So this is going to be a lot of fun, and I think we're going to laugh quite a bit during during this. <laughs> I love that it's 66. Yeah. yeah. It's a good number. Exactly. Got a new bottle. Let's open it up. This is the Booker's. Um, yeah, let's just. Without further ado, let's get into it. Let's huh? go right in. Yeah, I think yeah. we did this uh, one on on one of the Star Wars episodes. As we discussed, we did a bottle per episode on that one. Yeah, Jesse was just recounting the damage that we did. <laughs> the damage that, that Star Wars did to us. We did have some guests, though, so that helped. It was yeah, that was good. So uh, cheers, Matt. Cheers, to Jesse. New new cast, new week. One more for a dear friend of both of ours. Yeah. Yes. For Larry. For Larry. God bless you, my friend. Mm-hmm. On the other side. Mm. That one's got an intense start to it. Sure does. I'm trying to kind of figure out what I smell in here. Pepper. Yeah, pepper and almost tastes smells a little sweet to me too. There's pepper towards that middle part. I get a little vanilla. Mm-hmm. And on the back end, it's sort of smoky. Exactly. So if you ever want to kind of like smell those tasting notes, you're actually supposed to smell with your mouth open to kind of get those aromas into your into your sense, your your olfactory system. <laughs> I love smelling it. Oh, yeah, like I you do and too. I are, have such established palates. Yeah, like we can really tell. I smell clove bud a lot. You always do say that. <laughs> Not this time though. It's nice. Yeah, excellent. Well, we're talking about the Hangover today from two thousand nine. This is a very interesting film. We just finished watching it in the next room, which is kind of becoming our norm right now, is to watch the film and then just get right into it, which is great because we're coming into it like super fresh. Right. But yeah, let's get right into it. We got a great flight question. I'm so excited for this, but let's get right to that. So being that hangover from 2009, what a great decade for comedy you know we've done these lists before with horror and those have been always really hard for me to pick but when I started looking at all the comedies that had come out from 2000 to 2009 I was very overwhelmed by how many I liked and my list of three was very hard to narrow down so this was very hard for me actually I spent a lot of time in front of the computer trying to figure out well can I put this one I gotta put this one instead of that one had a hard time with this. <laughs> well, since you came up with the question, I'll come up with the rules. Okay. Okay. So the three proper one, two, and three, mm-hmm. but I will give you, if you want to take them two honorable mentions Two. Okay. And I think the purpose of this is not so that you can hedge your bets, but maybe open some eyes on a film that someone hadn't seen or hadn't thought about in a while. And we know there's a lot of time right now. So you got some time to sit in front of the TV and mm-hmm. adventure. Hit us with your two honorable mentions first. Um, I'll give you one honorable mention. Okay. It's actually another Ed Helms film. 
with Anne Heche. It's called Cedar Rapids. Mm. Have you ever seen I've it? I've never seen that. Essentially, they are business salesmen type that go to a retreat for this prestigious award that gets given away each year. Uh, the last maybe quarter is a little bit sloppy, but it's really good. It's a lot like the Ed Helms character in this film, a little bit repressed and a little bit stifled. And then as he's out, kind of finds this awakening and comes to, uh, I would recommend Cedar Rapids highly. Okay. So there's one for you. Excellent. Okay. You can do two, your two back do, to back. Do my two. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I'm a huge Edgar Wright fan uh, of all his films and by far my favorite of anything he's made from 2007. It's Hot Fuzz. It's an action comedy genre, but it's it's so aware of what it's taking from like action films. And it it's ridiculous at times, but man, I, I'll sit there and I'll just laugh nonstop. And the last time I watched it, I literally spit up what I was drinking at one point because I just couldn't stop laughing. Uh, okay, so that's one honorable mention. And then I'm going to have to go with, um, I guess, a mockumentary of sorts, but um, from Sasha Baron Cohen, Borat. And this was a film that I actually saw not even when it came out, but later in a film class, in a comedy film class. And when I watched, I couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing. And it's, I don't even know what, what type of a comedy you would call that because it's part mockumentary, but part, you know, these interviews are are kind of off the cuff and and it's just his character and how he's just so not with it at all (laughs) that bit with paula abdul and the human table is just priceless yeah yeah (laughs) premier bush (laughs) (laughs) yeah your clothes are black not (laughs) yeah that is yeah yeah and he and he's great he takes a lot of risks too so those are my two my list of honorable mentions was like 12 deep no napoleon dynamite oh not for me no yeah I, not for you at all. Uh, I I liked it when I first saw it, but for me, that's a film that uh, just hasn't aged well for myself. Um, it's one. just it's just the way the humor's displayed to me. It's a one timer. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, let's get into the top three. Number three for me, Zach and Mary make a porno. Mm. You know this had to be on there. We've mm-hmm. talked about this film a lot. Any of my top three are pretty interchangeable depending on the day. I think Kevin Smith's career mostly in film has been more misses than it has been hits. Oh, definitely. And this got out of the gate with a pretty rough start too with all the controversy about the poster mm-hmm. and him having to go back and redo it with the stick figures. And if you want a poster that's worth some money, find your original one of those Zack and Mary's. Definitely. There is that mid-2000s raunch to this, mm-hmm. but there's also, for me, what's important in comedy a thread of realism yeah. and honesty that makes the comedy that much better. For me, mm-hmm. for comedy to work, it has to have the straight man, the delivery. It can't just be nonsense, 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 nonsense. I get bored quickly and yeah. I'm out. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Zach and Miri have a really nice romance that is done so well in that scene, scored by live. Mm-hmm. Which you good luck finding that song. Yeah, but as they are having their their sex scene, their coitus, and they're actually it not <clears throat> doing it for gratuity, but because they actually are really into each other, and they figure discovered it at that moment, and then the sort of jealousy that sort of starts to work through that film. Mm-hmm. 
it's a great movie for me. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some stuff in there that's a little bit off-putting, and I get how everyone didn't like it. And the title alone, I think, might be a deal breaker for some. But mm -hmm. in that era, yeah, would I mean when you think about even like just what we're going to cover today, The Hangover. Mm -hmm. There is no shortage of raunch, and if you couldn't handle the title and that was off-putting for you, then you probably missed an entire decade of film. That's what I would venture. Yeah, probably. Because it's I, all I sort of that, constructed that, from that. I think that one's 2009, the same year as this film. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he followed that movie up with, like, Cop Out with Bruce Willis, and there's a whole thing on that, like, Bruce, the, the, that relationship wasn't a good work between the two of them. I'm we, not odd career. I'm not sure. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure what happens to Kevin Smith because there's times when he's really good. Like I like chasing gamey, but like clerks and like mall rats are kind of just like, eh, for me, you know what I mean? And then there's the stuff that he's written for Marvel mm -hmm. like and DC. Yep. The whole arrow reboot that he did is fantastic. Mm -hmm. The whole daredevil reboot that he did is fantastic. And then he tackled yeah. my favorite romance in the Marvel universe, which is black hat and Spider-Man mm -hmm. and didn't even finish it without taking a six month hiatus Yeah, in the middle of a six issue run. He bailed for six months. It was very weird. Mm -hmm. um, I forget what that's called. The evil that men do. I think that's the title of that series. Mm. And yeah, he's a very interesting cat. I'm not exactly sure what his legacy is going to be. Uh, I hope he figures it out. Cause I do think that there's something there, but that gen X sort mm -hmm. of feel has almost passed him by now. Hasn't no, it? Definitely. Okay, so there we go. That's a really long answer for number three. That's no, good. It's, it's 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 a really good film. Number three for me uh, from I think two thousand one, Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, uh, yeah. Talking about Bradley Cooper, this is a film that features Paul Rudd, Elizabeth Banks, uh, Amy Poehler, uh, Janine uh, Garofalo, David Hyde Pierce, uh, great cat, uh, uh, Christopher Maloney, H. John Benjamin. <laughs> yeah, it's great. But it was before they were like big. All of them. So they're relatively unknown. And then the story, it's, it's absurd, but it's a camp. It plays on those camp tropes. And I highly recommend that one if you haven't seen it. And even more so, the revival uh, shows that Netflix did uh, first day of camp and 10 years later are just as hilarious. Uh, they're like 10 episodes each. Yeah, Wet Hot American Summer. I love it. It's always been one of my favorites. To, assum to assemble that cast mm -hmm. for that film and then to look at what just about everybody in that film mm -hmm. achieved later on. Yeah. You can see how much talent they just like kind of lucked into. Fell into. Putting exactly. that together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. And what's great about the revivals is they all come back. Like yeah. they weren't big enough for it to not participate. Right. Which is great. Agreed. Yeah. That's number three for me. Number two for me, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Ooh, what's, what's number one? <laughs> yeah, you thought that, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. I love that film. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope that it makes a cask sooner or later. Mm -hmm. uh, again, big fan of Jason Seagal. Dispatches from Elsewhere right now is fantastic. If you're not watching <clears> that, I can't recommend a show higher, maybe Ozark. Um, Again, kind of cut from the same mold as Zach and Mary. It's not quite as edgy or raunchy, mm -hmm. but... Of all of the things in there that shouldn't work, it seems to all work really well, including the puppet show. And I think what that show does for me, or that film does for me, is showcases how talented Jason Segal is. Mm -hmm. Wrote it. The puppet thing is all him. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Mila Kunis is a terrific love interest in that film. You know who's hilarious in that movie is Jonah Hill. Okay, so <laughs> I wanted to talk about that for a minute. Yeah. 
as this will sort of spawn the trouble with sequels, mm-hmm. the Jonah Hill storyline with all the snow yeah. that ended up being get him to the Greek, mm-hmm. what that was oh, and what such, that should have been such is a such miss. a shame. Yeah. Because they actually had it what it should have been. Yeah. Like the fanboy romance between the two of them that was cut from Sarah Marshall. Yeah. And then in rewrites and the nonsense that that film became mm-hmm. ended up being get him to the Greek. I'm not sure how the powers that be, and maybe we're going to talk about this again later. Yeah. Hint, hint. Mm-hmm. That's a setup. Mm-hmm. How the powers that be couldn't see that they were wrecking that. But nonetheless, as bad as that film is, is as great as Sarah Marshall is. You know, part I love in that is when Elda Snow's singing inside of you just for this like lunch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jonah Hill's sitting there and he's like, I just went from six to midnight. He's yeah. Like adjusting his pants. Yeah. There's a lot of really great moments in that one. Honorable mention. Both of yours have been honorable mentions on my list. Awesome. I, again, it was like 12 films deep. Mm-hmm. Number two for me from 2007, super bad. Uh, I think I saw this film at the, it came out at the right time because not only are uh, Seth and Evan, the characters in that film, seniors in high school on like their last week. I, it came out when I was a senior in high school, so it felt very apt for me. It was kind of the teenager male fantasy of like, oh, well, we've got to sneak into these party and we got to like, we got to like have this relationship before we graduate and this and that. And then kind of like in the hangover, they go through this crazy night, this quest to ultimately fail. And it's just about the hilarity that ensues. It's raunchy, the stuff with McLovin, the MVPs in that film for me are actually Bill Hader and Seth Rogen as the cops. Like they're, they're hilarious. Uh, yeah, I've always loved that one, and it's it's still watchable. It's still effort, effortlessly quotable. That's that's my number two. That's always been a fun one for me, but smartly written too. That's another of those Judd Apatow associated ones. He was like a producer on it, but not he didn't have his hands like in it. Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg actually wrote that script when they were in high school together. Well, it's really smart mm-hmm. to take something that's established and works, mm-hmm. whether that's Fast Times or whether that's American Pie. Mm-hmm. A little bit different, but kind of birthed in the same <clears throat> general space. Mm-hmm. And not try to be anything more than what that is. A mm-hmm. coming of age at the end of an important rite of passage, thus graduating high school. Yeah, And you nailed it. Mm-hmm. Everybody has these visions of grandeur that are going to happen on that night. And frankly, most of that never happens. And thankfully, later on in life, you're glad it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But a 12-year journey comes to an end, and you expect this fanfare, and it's just not there. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Because if that's the fanfare, give me isolation exactly. and quiet. Yeah, because it's over. Right? Yeah. It's number two. Number two. Good choice. Mm-hmm. Number ones. Little Miss Sunshine. Okay. Uh, so smart. Maybe my top three comedies ever. Mm. Alan Arkin's fantastic. Again, I was thinking about this this week. You know who's secretly, or maybe not so secretly, but not acknowledged enough, has a fantastic career in film? Who am I going to say? Tony Collette? Yep. <laughs> Doesn't she? Yeah, she's great. I mean, you think about it. There's so many terrific films that Tony Collette is in that we never speak about mm-hmm. Tony Collette. Yeah. She's good in it. Greg Kinnear is always really good. Greg Steve, Kinnear's- Steve Carell? Steve Carell is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Dano. Paul Dano, Abigail Breslin. Mm-hmm. It's just, and again, a young cast at that time. Look, Kinnear and Colette were established, and obviously Arkin was, but those are not A-list talents. Oh, yeah. Although Tony Tony Collette, per ability, sure should be. A-plus talent. Man, if you can go from The Sixth Sense to Hereditary mm-hmm. in 
six moves yeah. and throw in a little Miss Sunshine along the way, along with a, a number of other fantastic films. Mm-hmm. They put together a really good cast. I never would think that Alan Arkin is as good as he is in that comedic space, mm-hmm. but he gives some great advice and that's fuck a lot of women. Yeah. <laughs> and the way he delivers it. And that is so, 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 so yeah. just gray mm-hmm. and stoic. But the best part of that movie mm-hmm. is when the cop pulls over the family van Yes, and there's all that porn in the back that Ellen Arkin has purchased. And he's a little, this little, that <laughs> just kills me. Yeah. yeah whatever you're into mm-hmm. is so funny. So yeah. that's my number one for that's the excellent. decade. Little that's excellent. And uh, yeah, let me let, let's say mine and then I will say what I was going to say right there. Number one for me from 2008. I didn't like this film the first time I saw it. And upon uh, going to the theater again to see it. And then in multiple repeat viewings, i saw how brilliant the film actually was. It's Tropic Thunder. I don't think I I don't think people understood what this movie was when they went to see it. I think they were a offended big time, uh, b um, maybe didn't think it was as funny or kind of seeing what it was playing off of, which is just this actor subculture of self importance, and just overall, it's the jokes that are written in there are so layered and so nicely set up that when they when they stick, boy, they're great. And talk about some great performances by. I'm not like huge on Ben Stiller all the time, but he's great in it. He directed and wrote it with Justin Theroux, Robert Downey Jr., legendary in that, Jack Black, and I'm not a big Jack Black guy either. He's great in that. Uh, Tom Cruise. And we talked about Matthew McConaughey with Killer Joe kind of being the beginning. This kind of was a little bit more of like the beginning of the McConaughey as his agent. Tug, tug, tug nuts. It's the peck. You mama make me happy. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, it's it's very it's a very offensive movie, but um, you have to be into that, be willing to roll with that type of humor. And I applaud them for taking those risks, like you know Robert Downey Jr. doing blackface for the whole movie. Like who agrees to do that? Right. He just brought his career back with Iron Man, and he's like almost killed it for two months later. You know what I mean? Risky film. Yeah, give them credit for doing that because that that could have gone off the rails at a number of places. Yeah, and all the Simple Jack, like all the stuff with that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we get to cover that movie sometime because there's like there's like a list of ten movies that I consider too funny. Like when Tropic Thunder's on, I, I can't stop laughing like at all the absurdity of it all. But I think these actors they get thrown through the gambit and they kind of realize we're not that important, like at the end of the day. Right. It's it's pretty pretty great. Al Pacino and his booty sweat. <laughs> oh man, yeah. <laughs> That bit where Tom Cruise comes in and almost steals the Academy Award is that. And I didn't know that was him the first time I saw it. I know. I was like, wait a minute, this guy looks familiar. Yeah, that's a great performance. Big dick player. Big dick. Rolling past your knee. (laughs) Bill Hader's great in that movie, too. Oh, I forgot he's in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great cast, actually. Yeah. Nick Nolte, Steve Steve Coogan, Danny McBride. Mother Nature just pissed a pantsuit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Boy, Danny McBride, it's time to come on with something, Danny McBride. Like well, it's been a little while. Well, what he's doing right now is writing and reviving Halloween for me, which is I know that's not the space I want him in though. Like we saw it with horror and in um Well Alien. he had those great shows. He had Did Eastbound and Down and oh, Vice yeah. Vice Principles. Right. He exists well in that space. He's even really good in up in the air mm-hmm. for the three scenes he's in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big Danny McBride fan. Yeah, me too. You had something you were gonna say <clears throat> about Little Miss Sunshine. Not about that, about oh. the films we talked about. So as oh. everyone knows, in week three of this cast, you're going to have the opportunity to pick. I'm going I'm to roll that out this week. 
on Instagram. So if you want to hear any of these films, add them to the list. If you want to hear something that's just kind of out there, add it to the list and you're going to have an opportunity to pick the third film here coming up. It'll be exciting. I can't wait. Up to you guys. (laughs) Cheers, Matt. Cheers. So let's get right to it in our review breakdown of The Hangover. The bachelor party, the whole night, it's... Things got out of control and, uh... We lost Doug. What? We can't find Doug. What are you saying, Phil? We're getting married in five hours. Yeah. That's not gonna happen. One of my favorite parts about The Hangover is the structure of this film. I like that we start with kind of the end, and then we go back and lead up to that. Then there's a big gap missing of the actual night, and then the aftermath that ensues. And then the end credits are actually that missing piece. And I like that it's still photography that's done to us. I think it's just, it's paced so well, this entire film. All the jokes land when they need to. All the development, you know, has setups and payoffs. It's an hour and 39 minutes, but there's so much going on in that time span in this, in this screenplay here. We did a lot with screenwriting and Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. I think that this script could also be one that we could break down mm-hmm. in much the same manner for exactly how to. But the thing that works the best for The Hangover mm-hmm. is they came to legitimately a high concept idea, a pitch unique idea and widely appealing. Mm -hmm. So essentially is the night after the bachelor party from hell, three friends wake up to find that the grooms that the groom has is gone missing and can't remember a thing about the previous night can see the whole movie set in. And they say in Vegas, precede all that within Vegas, Mm -hmm. like that setup alone in Vegas and the potential and propensity for debauchery that can ensue is infinite gold yeah and then after they come up with really high concept idea they create four very unique characters and then one thing i think they're able to do out of that too i always remember the trailer for this film being selling the movie very well yeah uh when you have a great idea like that and then four very unique characters i think at that point it doesn't matter who you cast you can go roll with some relatively unknowns because your foundation is so solid And then it's extra gold or even double lightning in the bottle when your three leads actually mesh very well together, which is another part of having a hit film, in my opinion. And in this ensemble piece, one of the characters they smartly don't have to do as much with as the other three. So you can even streamline a little bit because Doug is for the most of the film lost missing Mm -hmm. so we get some snippets and some pieces of doug but mostly he just only needs to be the groom Mm -hmm. so you create a team and then in some ways you have to be careful because you don't want to have a lot of attention put into a character that you're not going to use see jamie or see yeah jamie fox as electro in (laughs) spider-man Let's create this awesome villain and then we'll lock him up and or not use him or the first Godzilla. Yeah. Let's watch him swim for 45 mm-hmm. minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you got to be careful with that. Yeah. But in this case, we know he's the groom and they are celebrating the last night of his freedom, quote unquote freedom. Yeah. And so we get his character without having to spend a lot of time into what he's about. Oh, that's well said. Yeah. It was even more so that when we they got to the sequels with him that like he's so disposable, like not disposable, that's the, that's the wrong word to use, but 
the other guys are, are so strong as, as well that they didn't even need to kind of continue with him, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. You kind of get it with him already. But yeah, real basic story. We start out with, yeah, Doug's missing. We can't find him. It's a phone call to the bride-to-be. We're getting married in six hours. Yeah, that's not going to happen because we don't know. And that's how we started the film. Cut to two days later. We're kind of just setting up the foundation of we're going to go have this bachelor party. And we have Doug, who's the groom. We have Alan, played by Zach Galifianakis. Stu, the dentist, <laughs> played by Ed Helms. And then Phil, uh, the school teacher, played by Bradley Cooper. Again, other than... Prior to this, I didn't know who Zach Galifianakis was prior to this film. I knew Ed Helms from The Office, the Office yeah. and Bradley Cooper from What well, Americans and Wedding Crashers. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. So it's not like you got the names that you don't have Steve Carell or Will Ferrell or like those guys in here is relatively, I would say, unknown to an extent. And for John Lucas and Scott Moore to craft this on spec mm -hmm. and get it sold with, I guess a career post this film, but like very bad moms, bad moms, Christmas and the other hangover. I like, follow I like bad moms. It's okay. Yeah. For me, it's okay. Yeah. It's not anywhere near as good as this is, Yeah, but I will give them credit that they seem to have an ability to take an idea in their head and put it on paper and deliver it in a way that it makes the production <clears> companies <throat> interested enough to at least want to read it. Now they're a list talent now, so it's much easier. Yeah. But this was specced. Yeah. From two guys who are both mostly mm -hmm. minor players. Yeah. So to their credit, mm -hmm. and then to also to Bender Spink's credit. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that, I think, at some point, if not today, then some point in the future, the story of Bender Spink, mm -hmm. history of violence, and then their <laughs> precipitous decline. Um, I don't know if it's a bigger mistake, like Jonathan, um, like Bender and Spink, or Kurtzman and Orsi, but they both kind of follow a similar trajectory, sure. sadly. Yeah. Um. Well, this was written on spec, and it was sold to Warner Brothers for $2 million, which is a tie for a spec screenplay. Right, and at the time, I don't think Bender Spink was even on the lot at Warner. Yeah. They might have been a subsidiary off-lot, Yeah, because I interned there for about two weeks mm -hmm. for a period. Yeah, And I remember at that time what they were going through about trying to find the next thing after two huge hits. Like this, and I don't love History of Violence. No, I don't like that movie either. But everybody else really thought it was terrific. Everyone else bowed at the altar of History of Violence. And you and I both have an axe to grind with the... <laughs> yeah, okay. You and I both have an axe to grind with the writer of that oh, film. Oh, God. Josh. What his name? Olsen. Fuck him. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Fuck him. That guy's a douche, douche. Man. Yeah. Total douche. Uh, Who yeah. sat across the couch from him and just watched him just be like... Yeah, I didn't want to do the sequel to The Wizard of Oz because I'm just above that project. Like, who are you, man? Like, You get the history of violence, and your follow-up project is we need you to write the sequel for The Wizard of Oz, and you're bitter. Like, like I was like 20 right? when I was sitting across from him, and I'm just like, like flabbergasted at like the words coming out of his mouth. I was like, that's part of Hollywood that I, I would never like want to like be, you know what I mean? Like you, and then what's he done since? Nothing. Yeah. And the truth is that wasn't even on spec. History of Violence was a graphic novel that they had attained the rights to. Yeah. And he walked into a gold mine for yep. a stupid, horrible film with terrible, terrible acting. Let's just say, cheers. You and I would be much more grateful for those opportunities. To Larry. To Larry. To Larry. <laughs> Excellent. All right.
Keep going. All right, we're all sidetracked. Go. No, no, no. We're good. We're good. So now we're we're on our quest. They're picking him up. Is relatively simple setup. We're going to Vegas, and then we get on the road, and that's when we start getting the interaction between the guys. And each one is we have Stu, and he's in this nightmare relationship with his soon to be fiance. He's going to propose to her, but like he has so many restrictions, and he's lying. He's going to Napa Valley. He's got a call her at all these times he has to use his rogaine and don't and and when you better use it because i can tell when you don't your hair gets all thinny and you and i were just like oh <laughs> <laughs> groaning yep we don't want to be with someone like that no and and you know we, we get feeling it feels a little bit of a wild card and he he's very happy to leave his life behind for a night of debauchery and can kind of carry the in between and then you have alan and alan's always been very interesting to me because He's just as wild as all of them. Like, I used to take three hits of ecstasy a night. But, like, it seems like he's never, like, fit into any type of social circle. And what he's found here with these guys is a, a means, dare I say, family, to find a way to fit in. And it's almost cringy at times as, as he tries to force his agenda to, you know, make them as friendly as possible. It says here we should work in teams. Who wants to be my spotter? I don't think you should be doing too much gambling tonight, Alan. Gambling? Who said anything about gambling? It's not gambling when you know you're going to win. Counting cards is a foolproof system. It's also illegal. It's not illegal. It's frowned upon, like masturbating on an airplane. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's illegal, too. Yeah, maybe after 9-11, where everybody gets so sensitive. Thanks a lot, Bin Laden. <laughs> 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 but within <clears throat> what is this 14 minutes into yeah. the film maybe we've yeah. passed our inciting incident like we've already established all four of these guys right now we know who we're rolling with into las vegas and it's just you know as we get into the night and the manipulation and like let's get the villa instead of the suites and you can't put that like my wife checks my bank statements <laughs> like my god mm -hmm. <laughs> We we had this conversation too. Like, would you would you forego and spend four thousand dollars on a room that you're barely gonna be in in Vegas? You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. We talked about that. Yeah. You don't go to Vegas. To, I mean, you can. Yeah. But you don't really go to Vegas to appreciate the room, other than oh, this is awesome. And then if you're going to Vegas to hang out in a hotel, mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's the right place to go. Yeah. And if you're the person out there that goes to Vegas to hang out in the hotel, then so be it. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. But I'm not going to Vegas. Yeah, the Dang party's it. down in the strip. It's in the casino. Probably to the sports book first. Yeah. I can't change quick and get to the sports book fast enough. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a craps player myself. I used to play that too, but yeah. man, it's it goes quick. Yeah. It can go quick. Um so they get there and they've got themselves a pretty sweet setup. So they appreciate it for about 30 minutes and then Bradley Cooper, who's kind of the driving element for the fun that's going to ensue. He's kind of the glue of this little group. How many times did he say in the story, Jesus Christ, guys, pull it together. Yeah. Like just trying to like reel it in as like insane as those two are like going out there about their situations. He's a nice balance between the two. Right. Literally, he's kind of driving the fun bus. You know what I found out about him is he's actually been sober since he was 29. Really? Yeah. He plays a drunk pretty good though. Boy, no kidding. Stars born. <laughs> Yeah. Good for him. Like, good for him. Yeah, by all means. So, 
really interesting. I've always liked Bradley Cooper. I thought he was always maybe like a conversation or two behind being like the next Green Lantern or like like a big role like that. But I don't know if that fits him very well. I think he found a nice niche for himself in the types of films that he chooses to make and especially directorial efforts. I'm very curious to see what he does with that. Well, if you go The Hangover 1, 2, and 3, mm-hmm. and then you go with Silver Linings Playbook, oh. and then if you go with... Star is Born, you mm-hmm. see there's quite a range there. Yeah. Because that's from raunch comedy to dramedy to hardcore drama. <clears throat> um, you know, and honestly, I could probably see him doing pretty well in horror as well. Like, I don't know what that guy wouldn't fit in. You two, you and I are not the demographic for Star is Born, but I think you and I love that probably more than like anybody. Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Mm-hmm. And I don't even like Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. I love that film. Mm-hmm. The fifth time yeah <laughs> it's five versions in and it's i still so good it. yeah 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 so yeah he's a nice balance between the two so then we get the to the roof here and it's this kind of like the kind of ch- the, sh- the shots and we want to give a toast and this and that and oh my god like once <laughs> phil's gonna give his toast and then he's abruptly interrupted by alan and then what's left here it almost sounds like it's improvised to an extent because he almost flubs a couple of his lines yeah and todd phillips to his credit just lets him Keep going. It feels more real that way. And we get this brilliance here. All right. Four of us wolves running around the desert together in Las Vegas looking for strippers and cocaine. So tonight, I make a toast. Oh, what? What do you got there? Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 fuck yeah. yeah. What are you doing? Oh. <laughs> what is that? Blood Brothers. <laughs> Don't. Damn it! Why did you? Here, Alan. No, no, Alan. Go ahead, Stuart. Make him stop. Alan, we're not gonna cut ourselves. So then the film does a jump ahead and we miss that whole middle section that I was talking about. Can I talk about my experience watching this movie in the, in the theater? Yeah. So I went opening day, like a Friday, like matinee at like two o'clock with my, my friends to go see this. Loved it. I thought it was hilarious. Like two, two or three weeks later. So it's like July. And I went to the movies with my parents, just the the three of us. And we were going to go see Star Trek, the, the JJ Abrams one. So I was like, that's, that's a good movie, too. I was like, they might like that. So we went, and it was sold out. And I was like, my parents love comedies, but we had never, like, watched, like, this type of comedy together before. And then they were like, so let's go see that hangover. And I'm like, oh, we're actually going to go there. We're going to let actually let this happen. And I'm, I'm so glad we did because not only did they love it, I don't think I've had this experience in a comedy film before, but the entire audience laughed from beginning to end in every place they were supposed to laugh. There wasn't a dry joke in there or just confusion. And it was an amazing experience. Uh, no comedy before or since has ever been able to duplicate that. It was actually truly a great audience that I watched that film with. And to this film's credit, like that means the writing's on point, the acting, just the, the, the pacing of it all is just exactly where it needs to be. This is a comedy that works. 
it works because I think they have a terrific director at the helm. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about this man's filmography from The Joker, which I know is a bit of a different take on how we see about it. From War Dogs, which I think I li- is fantastic. I like that one, yeah. Star is Born Again mm-hmm. had ties in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, due date, old school, old school, Starsky and Hutch. I like that one. Road trip. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can go on and on. So this guy has a space that he's very good at, and I think one of the tricks to prove how talented Todd Phillips is has to do with Zach Galifianakis. And you brought it up a minute ago. Mm-hmm. There seems there's a couple points in this film where maybe he forgets his lines or flubs his lines. And with someone like Zach Galifianakis, and if any of you have watched Baskets. You can see FX how uh, yeah, yeah how auteur Zach Galifianakis's version of comedy can be whether it's between two ferns or whatever you want to do <laughs> he's a very different cat yeah there's four guys like that and under four actors that I'm going to name in just a minute like yeah. that that if they're under the tutelage of someone who knows what they're doing they come across as great those four guys for me are Peter Sellers mm. Robin Williams mm. the aforementioned Jack Black and Zach Galifianakis. If you give them too much rope, I guess you could maybe include early Jim Carrey in that as well. Sure. If you give them too much rope, they're going to hang the film. Yeah. There are moments when Robin Williams is really, really funny, and it's when he's able to be restrained. When it's Robin Williams coked out, post-Mork and Mindy, pre-Mrs. Doubtfire, wild, druggy, mm-hmm. he's insufferable. Yeah. It's like watching the Tasmanian devil as a human. Mm-hmm. I mean, it like the Looney Tunes yeah. spinning thing. Yeah, I know what you mean. Peter Sellers had an element of that to him as well. Mm-hmm. You had to find someone who could reel him in. Jack Black, you brought it up, is, I think, really funny. Mm-hmm. And when it's handled by someone who can do like what they did with him in High Fidelity versus what happens in, oh, just about anything else, <laughs> you get garbage. Yeah. Zach Galifianakis is that guy. And that's about the talent the person has and how the director can harness it. And I think Todd Phillips does a masterful job of reeling him in because Zach Galifianakis in this film could steal it and hijack it, but instead he enhances it. That's well said. Uh, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of, not even in just comedy, but just in just about any film, if you give an actor too much leeway, they can really harm your film. And I think it's... uh, You upstage everybody and the story. Yeah. And it's not Zach Galifianakis's story. Yeah. That's the problem with Get Him to the Greek. Yeah. That ends up being Aldous Snow and Matt. I think his name's just Matt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. And that movie sucks yeah. because it's not reined in and directed towards an ultimate goal that tells X, Y, and Z. It's just, go be crazy. I'll just talk about The Godfather. Look at oh. how many egos in that cast. Brando. Well, perfect. James Caan. Al, Al Pacino. Pacino. Yeah. Robert Duvall. And you have a young relatively young francis ford coppola who's mature enough to wrangle all that in and we get what we get i don't know how you do that yeah from dailies because there has to be some element of look man you've gone too far in this scene and we've lost the scene because you are just too big in the moment Mm -hmm. and i think you get a case of that where the one piece in this film that although it's funny i think hijacks the film is ken jong yeah. When he like it's funny that he jumps out of the trunk naked. Yeah. But that is so far out of what you're expecting. It's not that it's not funny and it's bad. Yeah. It hijacks the story for a minute and sure. it takes a minute to get back to what's happening for me. Mm-hmm. Now that may not be for everyone and so be it, but for me 
that doesn't happen with Zach Galifianakis, and I think the propensity is really high yeah. with that guy. Because if what you said is true, he seems like he's flubbing his lines or he's stumbling or he's tongue-tied. Yeah. But if that's a conscious action mm-hmm. that he's doing on purpose, yeah. And that's that's genius. It's really good, yeah. right? Yeah, and you don't know, you don't and you don't notice the film just can't kind of keeps moving and and it feels more real and authentic that way. And you're on location looking at the dailies and you look at your DP or your cinematographer or your sound editor or whoever and say, "God, did he flub up that line?" And I don't know, it's a, he seems like he's doing a, is that to have the faith mm-hmm. and insight to not reel that back and reshoot it. But to allow it to go because it creates that rich, mm-hmm. robust character that we get yeah. in the film played uh, by Galifianakis. It's great. Yeah. All right. That's a lot on that. No, that's 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 very well said. So then we get the post-morning aftermath, which is, again, it, I love how it's just done with no dialogue and it's just all in the visual. A smoking chair and this chicken and bubble <laughs> bath and... <laughs> Woman with her high heels leaving the room, and it's just a mess. Tiger in the bathroom. Oh, my God. And as they wake up, and I always love that shot of Ed Helms, and it's almost like the camera's attached to him, and it's like this like post-hangover like hangover, like days. Like, we've all been there. Mm. Um, just waking up, and you're like, oh, God, I feel awful. My body hurts. I feel sick, and, like, I can't remember some things last night. <laughs> all right, here it is. Yeah? Is Tell this, us your story, is Jesse. This story? Let's hear it. Yeah. You seem like you're familiar in that space, so give us one of them. By far the worst time that it's ever been. I, I thought I was I thought I was gonna die. Um, they one of my friends threw a going away party. He was moving to Colorado for, just for a little bit to go to grad, graduate school. So his girlfriend threw him a party, and they say you shouldn't mix. Well said, but like I literally mixed about as much as you can possibly. Ugh. Coors Light, uh, Guinness, blueberry. A beer. Good. Blueberry beer. Yeah, uh, blame Blake for that one. Um, Blake. Yeah, bourbon, gin, vodka, tequila, rum. Oh, my God. Yeah, there was times when they were, like, bringing me a shot to, like, do with the group, and I would, like, take it, and they're like, Jesse, wait for everyone else. I was like, oh, just bring me another one. <laughs> I yeah. got thrown in the pool. I, I, I thought I was going to drown, and then my buddy got sick, and then I got sick, and it was endless, and I had, like, my swim trunks on, and it had like that loose Velcro and like it kept flapping open. Man, I was giving everyone a show and just flapping around with like everything <laughs> outside of my trunks. I threw up the whole way home on like going like 60 down the road. Uh, just threw up all night. I thought I, I literally, there was at one point and I was, I was like, this is it for me. Like I'm, I'm dying tonight and the alcohol killed me. How long was the hangover? Three days. Jesus. And the next morning when I, I woke up, I br- brushed my teeth, and then I went and had a drink of water, and the, the toothpaste in my mouth and the taste of the water tasted like gin. Ugh. I almost got sick. I was like, oh, I can't drink gin anymore, ever. I thought no. you were going to say you couldn't even get the toothpaste to sense <laughs> up because you were so dehydrated. Your mouth was like the desert. That was the worst I've ever felt. The worst hangover I ever had, though, was um, I combined uh, Italian food, uh Miller High Life and cinnamon whiskey. That was like a jackhammer, like pounding me in the head for like two days. It hurt so bad, and nothing I did could make it go away. The champagne of beers gave you the hangover of all hangovers. <sighs> that was bad. That was the sickest I've ever gotten, and that was the worst hangover. Okay, so I have one from Vegas. It's actually a Vegas one. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> so 
plenty of drinks into this, but mostly still sober. Like I, I, I was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then we decided to go to the Mandalay Bay for dinner and have a bite to eat in, I think it was called the Red Square. I don't mm-hmm. even know if that, if that restaurant's still there or not, but it's a Russian themed restaurant. We sat down, we ordered our beef stroganoff, and then the waiter mentioned that they had a vodka locker, which I had heard about. Yeah. It sounded like a lot of fun. So yeah, what, you know, what the heck? So essentially you go into this little tiny room that's very, very cold and you put on the Russian gear, which is the jacket and the hat and you sit on the stools that are made out of ice and the bar is made out of ice <laughs> and they give you a bottle of sky vodka. That's about $75 with all the fixings you want. And it's just go to town. Mm-hmm. So understand yeah. I'm with four other grown one, two, yeah, four, five total, five grown men in there, including myself yeah. and one bottle of sky vodka. Yeah. So we're good. <clears throat> come on. Really? Like mm-hmm. how much damage could it really do? Yeah. Here's the thing. Yeah. Because it was so cold in there. Yeah. All of the blood pooled around my heart to protect my vital organs. Mm-hmm. I'm sure of this. Like I don't have a fit, like a study. No, you're right. But I'm, I know. Yeah. So by the time we polished off that bottle and then got decoded and headed back to our table, body started to warm up because it's in the middle of summer in Vegas. Hundred and five, hundred and ten. Blood starts coursing quickly, and I remember thinking, like, <laughs> what is happening? So I grabbed my phone. Yeah. And I told my friend. To Sean and Augie. Yeah. To Sean and Augie, if you're listening, yeah. fellas, yeah. bastards. I need to call my wife because in about 10 minutes, I don't think I'm going to be able to have a conversation that makes sense. And I don't want to, <laughs> literally, Ed Helms, I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. She's going to be pissed if she's how drunk I am. Yeah. Man, I got through about two sentences on that. And she was like, <laughs> you're hammered. I'm like, how, there's no, how do you know? Anyway, I was. Yeah. By the time that phone call ended, I had to go to the bathroom and I was that guy that there's the door in front of you yeah. and you can't get straight. It's yeah. left, left, weaving, left, weaving. I, I couldn't get there. <laughs> so somehow I stumbled and got to the bathroom violently sick. Yeah. And then my buddy Sean got me in the taxi and got me home, which we double paid the taxi driver twice. <laughs> of course we did. Yeah. And that next day was back home here to come home and finish packing and start moving. Oof. Oh man, I was so green at the airport. Ugh. I could like literally green. Ugh. That was a two and a half day hangover. And it probably was sped because I had to go and work up a sweat and move those boxes and heavy things, which at least got the blood flowing and, and got my metabolism up. Mm-hmm. But that was the worst. That sounds awful. Awful. And I got to tell you, yeah. we drank during the day. So I think that set it up for what the night and the vodka locker was. Yeah. But it again, it was one bottle, one Booker sized bottle of Sky Vodka and about a $600 meal. No joke. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a bite of that beef stroganoff <laughs> for Sky Vodka. <laughs> Not one bite. There was a picture for oh. the longest time that used to exist. I, I I don't think it does anymore, but it was of you guys in the, the locker lounge. I'll see if I can't find it. We'll put it on Instagram. We'll put it on this. You guys look so trash. Like, Hammered. Yeah. <laughs> especially, especially Sean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was the soberest of all That's of us. That's hilarious. I love that story so much. Oh, Excellent. To that. To that. To that. To that. Cheers to that. Cheers. To, to worst days. <laughs> So Where were we? I forgot the movie. We're in the room now. The room's trashed. Mm. We have the aftermath. The tiger's in the room. Ed Helms uh, is actually missing a tooth in real life. It's a dental implant. Pulled is missing a tooth now in the film. Uh, there's a baby in the closet. 
And it's just that no one knows where Doug is. It's a mess at this point. So now it becomes, what happened? Why can't we remember literally anything? Oh, this is a good thing. No, no, check your pockets. Check your pockets. You have anything? I have an ATM receipt from the Bellagio. 1105 for $800. I am so fucked. I have a valet ticket from Caesars. Looks like we got in at 5.15 a.m. Oh, shit. We drove last night? <laughs> Driving drunk. Classic. <laughs> What's on your arm? What the fuck? Jesus. Phil, you were in the hospital last night. I guess so, yeah. You okay? Yeah, Alan, I'm fine. <laughs> but it's good. This is a good plot mechanism. If you can't remember what you have, you got to use what you have around you. So Phil or uh, Phil Bradley Cooper says, check your pockets for clues. So now it becomes, I know you love this because it's a now piecing together of the mystery. And it's like literally breadcrumbs. So the hospital band takes them from hotel as they see the mattress on the Caesar statue there. They get into a cop car. So now that's another lead. Like, how did we get this thing? Baby, cop car, hospital band. Let's follow up on these and see if we can figure out what's happened. So then they go to the doctor and it's <laughs> that's that scene's always weird. He's like giving like a physical to this like old man. And <laughs> yeah, I'll lot. see you next. I'll see you on next week. And Ugh. he turns and goes, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> right. But he goes on yammering and talking about like <clears throat> about the wedding. You just come from a wedding. You're like, yeah, our guy's getting married. No, you're talking about a wedding you just came from. So this, the, 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 the through line of the story does a good job of each scene has a purpose. And it's another stepping stone to finding out, uncovering the mystery of what happened to Doug and what happened in the, the mystery night. It's done effortlessly. The clues that they put in to solve the mystery are very organically generated too. the badge on Bradley Cooper's arm, the little random things in their pockets. And then you get a walking back of a book ending effect in the writing of the script. So essentially what you have is your opening and your inciting incident. And then after about that, so you said like around 15, 18 minutes, yeah. we get after they've been on the roof of whatever hotel that is. Caesar's. Caesar's, you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Palace. Caesar's Palace. Caesar Palace. <laughs> Um, like the salad. Right. We get an introduction to what's mostly the crisis element per beat wise in the script. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to move backwards from that to get to conflict and resolution, crisis, mm -hmm. conflict, resolution, <clears throat> conclusion as the final four beats. So they give us like beat seven of the 10 after beat three or four normally and th what that does is it creates a really sec interesting second act structure cuz that's the toughest part not only to write yeah. but keep the interest of the audience up yeah it's because the, the midway lull like, right lull, yeah yeah it's just come on get on with the quest mm -hmm. but because it's being done essentially backwards and forwards and i don't mean that's in an end game bs kind of way what you're getting is interesting moments that have very cool reveals that are set up within the natural structure that the characters exist. And you create m significant interest from the viewers into how do you get that band? And then, so when they look in the band, the doctor says, well, what about this and this? And then we meet Heather Graham and then we meet you know, the, the baby Carla, like all of it is set up so well 
that they each have a story that you are infinite and infinitely interested in discovering how it got there. And all of those pieces lead to solving the mystery, which is where is Doug? Mm-hmm. It's masterful writing. Oh yeah. It's really, really well done. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about this, this wedding. So we get to the best little chapel here and we find out that Stu has gotten married to this other woman. Her name's Jade and no recollection of it. And he can't believe he, he could have done this. And he bought the most expensive wedding package here with the cups and the hat and and, and a calendar and, and all all the whatnot. But I think Phil says it really well. He's like, you actually look pretty happy here. Like, I can tell you that instead of looking miserable with your current situation. Right. But we find out at yet another piece to the puzzle that the, the baby is therefore, therefore hers. So let's track her down to get another piece. Maybe she knows where Doug is. And then there's this whole thing of like, where's the, the, the they rolled into Vegas in this beautiful Mercedes Benz and it's the dad's and he loves it more than he loves Alan, according to him. <laughs> yeah. And we don't know where it's at, the condition that it could it could possibly be in. And so it's all about, we got to find Doug, we got to find the car too as well. Um, and all really well set up. So then we're introduced to Heather Graham now as Jade. And the baby was called Carlos. He named it Carlos, but his real name is Tyler. And then it becomes yet yeah, just another great piecing together. And this is there's this whole great comedy bit. And and you said it really well. Ed Helms plays a foil of sorts in the film because a lot of the comedy is played through his character. And one of these great bits is he's going to propose to his current girlfriend with this ring that his grandmother had that she made it through the Holocaust with. I didn't know they gave rings at the way at the Holocaust. <laughs> God, that's the best line of the movie. <laughs> And he gave it to her, so now he's like, "Oh God, I got, I gave her that. I got to get that back. We got to annul this." Like, and so while they're trying to piece things together, at the same time, the situation's getting even worse. All these things that they they're now have to deal with: annulling this marriage, finding the car, finding Doug, having to pay Chow eighty thousand dollars, the tiger in the room with Mike. Tiger. It becomes an even more complex quest than it and it, it initially set out to be, and. uh they're arrested with the cop car. Yeah, I forgot another one, the cop car that they had. And when they're arrested, and then they do some some nifty nifty little bargaining here to get out of this one. You stole a police car. We didn't steal anything. Um, we found it. Yeah, if anything, we deserve a reward or something, like a trophy. I see assholes like you every day. Every fucking day. Let's go to Vegas. We'll all get drunk and Yeah, hey, woo! Steal a cop car because it'd be really fucking yeah. funny. Think you gonna get away with it? Not up in here. Not up in here. <laughs> Rob Riggle. He's great. He sure is. You know what? He's great in the, the 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 Jump Street films that they did. He's like the the PE teacher. Where did he get? Did he get his start on Saturday Night Live? That's a great question. I think I, I think he did. I think he was involved in making those like the animation, the Saturday Funhouse like animations. Really? I honestly think that's where he got his start. I'll look it up here in a second. Even in the internship with Vince Vaughn and... Uh, that's a good movie, too. Is that... Yeah. Yeah. He's, Rob Rick, um Yeah, terrific. Yeah. He's really good. Did you see the Kevin Hart film with Tiffany Haddish? Was it called Night School? Uh-uh. He's in that, too. Hmm. Uh, again, in sort of a bit bigger role. But he's really good in that space. He even does some work for CBS, I think, on the NFL Today show on oh, Sundays. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, the Fox. Oh, okay, excuse he does, me, he, sorry, CBS. You know, he does the, the, the little predictions, and he's always he's always doing some little bit. He took over from Frank Caliendo. Right, yeah. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. So we got these all these bit players, whether it's Ken Jeong or Rob Briggle or Heather Graham. You got your leads, your main ensemble, and then they're supported with, I don't want to say unknown because Heather Graham's like not unknown and Rob Riggle and, and some of these guys, but they're enough where they don't detract enough from your main leads. Mike Tyson. It's a nice cameo bit from these guys. So it all hand, they get this bit, so they make this deal because um, well, you're going to be in court on Monday. No, we got to be in, in L.A. for a wedding on Sunday. Well, we'll let it slide, but you got to like participate in this thing. And it's like this like tasing thing. For I remember this field trip, Matt, like the field trip to the police station, because I remember like fingerprinting and all, all this and that. Yeah. And so they're, they're taking these kisses or thing and it's like a ta- the tasing session and they just like fully w- like go th- through like the whole tasing of these guys, which is just hilarious. I love that that's the deal with the devil they make to get mm-hmm. away with stealing the cop car. Mm-hmm. We're going to use you as a scared straight sort of effect yeah. for these kids that are here on a field trip. Yeah. And what's even better about that too and works, and I only noticed this today, that Bradley Cooper, I would argue, gets it the worst out of all three. And he's the school teacher in front of the kids. Yeah. Goes back to that early introduction to Bradley Cooper, where our first bit of him is stealing the kids mm-hmm. permission for money so that he can take it and go to Vegas. No, oh, that's good. It, it, like it's just built mm-hmm. so intelligently. Mm-hmm. He could this could be happening anywhere and it could be anybody, but for that to happen. To the school teacher mm-hmm. is so good because it's almost like there's an effect of karma. Yeah. That he's got to pay oh, big time for the money that he stole from his kids. Like when he gets picked up at the beginning of the at the movie, mm-hmm. uh, get me out of here before one more of these dorks or one more of these geeks or nerds ask me a question. Yeah. Teachers aren't supposed to say that. I know we're not supposed to say that, mm-hmm. but he does. And the fact that the kid tases him in the ball. Yeah. As Rob Riggle celebrates right in the nuts. Yeah. It's just desserts for him, really. Right. Yeah. And that could come across as really schlocky and slapstick. And I do not like slapstick. I know mm-hmm. you and I have a difference in comedy in that. You really like oh, the, I love the stooges. I don't, I don't, oh, right. That's my jam. <laughs> but it's set up in a way where it's not so out of left field for mm-hmm. me that I bought in. Man, of course, some little kid's going to tase him in the balls because it's a kid. Mm-hmm. And the teacher getting tased in the balls by a kid after he stole the other kid's money. Mm-hmm. Man, that's just desserts. You had it coming, buddy. It's really good. Yeah. And then the film next decides to dip its toe into something. And I like how it doesn't venture too much into the territory of taking itself overly seriously. Um, it just kind of gets there. And there's this nice moment between Alan and, and Phil there where he's like, he's like, I'm really worried, Phil. Like, what if something really bad happened to to Doug. And he's, yeah. like, he's like, you can't think like that, Alan. He's like, he's like, I can't lose anyone close to me. And the film's good about they're having a nice kind of poignant moment, but then it goes into absurdity again, where he's like, I can't lose. Like I lost my grandfather. Were you guys close? Yeah. He died in world war two. He was in the war. No, he was just skiing. In Vermont. Right. So I like that the film has the bravery to kind of go there a little bit, but then pull it back right away. Cause it realizes it's still a comedy at heart. Can I talk about that for just a minute? Yeah. If you think of the structure of comedy and horror as a staircase, then the flat piece of the stair as you move up is really important. Mm -hmm. If it's just constant ascension, there's no breaking of the conflict, and it starts to wear you out to where it has a lessening effect. Mm -hmm. You have to have those moments in there where 
the tension, whether it be comedic release or frightened release, like laughter or a scream, which essentially in those two genres are the same emotional response, Mm -hmm. is broken by allowing yourself to level off with some drama. And in this moment, and it's 20 seconds before we get into the no, who's skiing in Vermont. Yeah. Like he really is worried about what happened to his brother-in-law, Doug. Mm -hmm. And it's not comic. It's very, look, man, this is just truth, honest, serious. Mm -hmm. I'm worried. Yeah. And what it does is it creates a plateau effect. So you go up with tension and then you plateau it and then you relieve that with comedic and it drops the tension so that you continue Mm -hmm. the ascent. If it's just for me, and this is my argument, I know people are going to throw stuff at their, at their listening device. (laughs) It's my argument against stepbrothers. That's why I bailed at 45 minutes. Yeah. There was none of that. It's just constant ascension to the point where it just got to be absurd. It's also, and I know I'm not the only one in this, as much as I love Airplane, Mm -hmm. at 45 minutes with that film, every single time after the Roger over under Vector Victor, I'm done. Yeah. Because there's no breaking. Yeah. It's literally nonstop. And it wears you out. Mm -hmm. If you are screaming the whole film, ah, 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 because you're scared the whole film, Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. Well, we talked about in The Exorcist. The right. Exorcist gives us plenty of time to kind of catch our breath, let our guard down, and then hit us with a jackhammer. Allowing Father Karras to talk to his mother, yeah. which is still horrifying, mm-hmm. but in a very dramatic way. Yeah. This, in that moment, and there's some other places in here, too, mm-hmm. when you start talking about Ed Helms <clears throat> and his his cheating girlfriend and yeah. Bradley Cooper and how much he's really not happy with his family, even though you know he is. Yeah. You see later that he really is. Um, it creates a dramatic plateau that allows you to just kind of regroup so that you can have the response that's expected. Again, that's all writing. That's 100% in the writing, knowing Mm -hmm. what you're trying to do. Yeah. So they get the car back. Yeah. It's in great shape. It's a win. Chalk it up as a win of sorts for these guys. And other than the dust, not a scratch on it. right? Yeah. And they go going for more clues. There's a, a men's size six boot. (laughs) Men's size six. Uh, a cigar and a snakeskin. Oh, wait a minute. It's a condo. I love that bit, dude. They're just throwing it back around. And he just like, and again, Phil go like, pull it together, guys. Like, why are you throwing that at me? <laughs> yeah. And that's when they hear the rustling from the trunk. And then like, they think to find Doug. And I, I, I like the moment as much as it might kind of pull you away from it. I like how random, random this moment is because it, here out jumps this naked Ken Jeong, Mr. Chow, just beating the hell out of them with this crowbar. They don't know why. We don't know why, but we're just like, can this journey get any more insane? And I'm just willing to roll with those punches. Yeah, the strange introduction of clues has been one after another in this film. So it's not completely out of the wheelhouse for a naked man to jump out of the trunk and beat Mm -hmm. you nunchuck style with a crowbar. Yeah. So want to fuck on me? (laughs) Yeah. So I will give it that. Yes. Yeah. It's... It it, it it just keeps it moving and just it just keeps the it keeps the foot on the gas pedal with um with comedy which is different than you know like Mad Max Fury Road where it's very consistent throughout it keeps throwing us curveballs as we go along because we're gonna get an, another one literally literally right here in the next scene. Mike Tyson. This is my favorite part coming up right now. I 
first one, guys. He still got it, Jesse. That's a mighty left hand that he fires off. Mike Tyson singing in this film is, oh, it's, it's terrible, first of all. And I think that's the intent. But, like, the randomness of walking into the room where we're, we got oh, to do this tiger bullshit now. Mike Tyson's sitting there. He's singing Genesis into the air tonight. And they're kind of getting into it. And then just a right hook to Alan's face, like, you stole my tiger. What are you do? What are you doing here? Like, why would you do that? <laughs> okay, so this is a perfect example of what you and I talk about all the time: mm-hmm. the relieving of tension. And I'm going to give you two examples. <clears throat> so this is funny because Mike Tyson singing "In the Air Tonight" by Genesis. You like Genesis? I do. Yeah, I'll admit that to you. Phil Collins or Peter Gabriel? Uh, Phil Collins. Yeah. Like- Peter Gabriel lost me with that. Um, my flag boy and your flag boy, or what? Like shock the monkey. Like I that love was Peter Gabriel by himself. Yeah. Okay. I'll take Genesis with Phil Collins. <laughs> okay. And to that, real quick. Yeah. Two guys wrote the entire decade of the eighties, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Phil Collins and Jeff Lynn from ELO. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Right. Those guys wrote the whole entire decade of the eighties. So much, to those two guys. But much. anyway, all right. Is Billy Corgan wrote the entire decade of the 90s, but that's another story. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Okay, so look, we get in there, and it's Mike Tyson telling him to hang on for a minute, and it's funny watching Mike Tyson rock out mm-hmm. to Genesis. The way that that is set, off, set up and paid off through comedic can be done the opposite way in Boogie Nights, another Heather Graham vehicle, if you will. Are you talking about no. Alfred Molina and Sister oh, Christian? Oh, yeah, I love that part. Mm-hmm. Right. But what that does is he's sitting there in his whitey tidies and his robe with his sumo-like bodyguard and plenty Motoring. of dr- <laughs> Right. But you're like, oh, this isn't funny. Yes. This is serious. Mm-hmm. So if you look at those two in a correlation with each other, you can see again how tension is paid off either with like the gunshots and like that scene's kind of scary in Boogie Nights as much as it's not boo, yikes, monster scary. Fatality scary versus Mm -hmm. paying off that tension with the absurd. Mm -hmm. They both hinge on the same thing. That's why I always ask someone when they say, I'm not really a fan of horror. Mm -hmm. I would say, well, do you like comedy? And then if the answer to that question ends up being, oh, I love comedy, then the answer is, I don't like horror. This is my own two cents, my philosophical take on film viewership, okay. which is because it really actually works and you're scared. And I get that. Some people don't like to be scared. Fight or flight is not a friendly place to be. Oh, well, we saw Hereditary. There was a couple, little full of a couple rows in front of us and they were like cackling through the whole thing. And we were just like, they're only doing that because they're like, really uncomfortable right now. So think about it. We're like, oh, it's so weird. And like the punch that you played and laughed, and I gl- I'm so glad that we got the sound on that, mm-hmm. paid off that, you relieved that tension with the laugh because, oh my gosh, you just knocked out Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. The same thing in Boogie Nights is, oh my God, and the relieving of that tension is the firing of that gun as they drive away, which almost has a comedic element because it is so crazy. Mm-hmm. Look, guys, they hinge on the same essential characteristics. These two, these two genres, comedy, 
horror slash thriller are essentially the same structure. Uh-huh. And this is a perfect example of that. Excellent, excellent. So we find out this tiger's his. Got to get it back to him. How am I going to get a tiger back? One thing we forgot to mention earlier. Paul Alan- Carol Baskin. <laughs> I had to. It's, it's her fault. <laughs> it is. Carol Baskin. Alan has admitted to them that he drugged them on the roof. He slipped some... Some flories, yeah. So yeah, the Rufalin. Oh, Rufalin. Yeah, Rufies. into the Jägermeister because he wanted everyone to have a good time, thinking it was ecstasy, and so we. That's why we. That's that's the crux of why they can't remember anything and this and that. So he has some extra on hand. They give it to the tiger in the in the stake here, gonna drug him. And I I don't think you watch The Office very much, but when Ed Helms was introduced on that show, he had a really interesting energy to himself. And there was at a point where he had to go to like anger management classes because he was just so out of control. But he does this a lot on the show, which is this moment I'm going to play right here. And we're going to find our best friend Doug, and then we're going to give him a best friend hug. Doug, 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 Doug. But if he's been murdered by crystal meth tweakers. You hear the tiger fall down in the background. <laughs> yeah. Again, All done off script, not scripted. That's exactly. Ed Helms and just being Ed Helms. Exactly. I think that's that's also looking into a situation where you find out the talents that the cast that you've brought to the film and saying, well, you're really good at like playing the piano and songwriting. Like, just can you come up with something off the cuff? And that's what you do. And it's therefore another moment in the film that works so well because of trusting your your actors. Right. Really, really well done. I, lo- I love that little song. The space on the page is important. You have to leave enough white on the page of the screenplay to give the actors room to maneuver, especially in <clears throat> comedy. Again, the anthem of this podcast is less is usually more. Mm-hmm. And in this case, particularly less is more, because that's one of the crowning moments in this film yeah. that didn't appear from the page in black on white. Yeah. And to, to Ed Helms yeah, and to Jason Segal and puppets. <laughs> Right, it's, it's those moments. Die. 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 I can't. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really good. And I think as a, as a director, as a filmmaker, I think you have to be comfortable enough to let actors experiment within the space of the set. Yeah. And then being willing to roll with it and include it in the film. That's, that takes a courage into it, into of itself. Preach, yeah. To, to Todd Phillips' credit. Amen. Who I found out on this. Like, how do you, you don't know when you make a film, like, cause any film could be a disaster, but he forgot his, um, his director fee for this film in exchange for back end profits, which Smart we'll talk move. about that at the end because movie was a gold mine. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't, you don't know that. You know what I mean? That's a risk in itself too. I can't imagine the movie was really cheap because on location in Vegas to shut some of that stuff down had to be 35 million. Yeah. See, okay. So I want to go to that for a minute. Mm -hmm. That is exactly smack dab in the middle of where production companies don't like to make films. Yeah. 10 to 60. It's freaking curtains, man, because it is such a high level of failure for the amount of return. The ROI on 35 is bad. No, you better swing for the fences and hit it. Mm-hmm. You want two hundred million so you can go all in, and the seven you put into production advertising doesn't matter because you already spent one hundred and ninety three. Or you want to go like one, yeah, so you can go grassroots sort of 
um, auteur mm-hmm. organic rebels on the back lot, even yeah. though that's not true. Mm-hmm. 35 yeah. is a terrible, yeah. terrible price point for a film. It, it really is. It really is. Yeah. Which is, yeah, to, to all the, the people involved that still push this thing forward. So they get the tiger. He's asleep. They get him back to Tyson's house, but not before waking up in the car, trashing the car, which was a win that I called earlier. Yeah. Um, wrecks the car. They get it back to Tyson, and th- there's a nice kind of repair of whatever relationship that is, but not before showing him the video footage, which is at least another clue in the quest saying that Doug was with us at 3 o'clock when we did this, so we just got to go from 3 to this time now, and maybe we'll be able to find him. But then here comes Mr. Chow, wrecks them in the car, and says, you owe me 80. It's a puss, okay? <laughs> <laughs> at eighty thousand dollars worth of chips here. So not okay, they got they got Doug in the car. Doug in quotes. If you get me the eighty thousand, I'll give you your friend back. Meet me by dawn. So now again another we're going into act three now of the film. We put lit another fuse on something. We gotta somehow win eighty thousand dollars to get our friend back so we can go get married and we can just get forget this horrible experience. And yeah, we're gonna come up with eighty thousand dollars just off the cuff right right here. I love how Stu says, I have 10000 in the bank. I was going to say, you're going to blow 10000 on his wedding? Like, you got to talk, too, about how much weddings just cost in general and oh. the amount of money spent on them, like, yearly. <laughs> so you can invite way too many people and barely spend any time with them because there's so many there. So you can invite family you don't even like? <laughs> kind of have to, and especially from the places and demographics that you and I are birthed. There's yeah. a whole lot of people that come with the 17th aunt that you've never known. Exactly. Yeah. So, so now we got an, like literally another fuse on this bomb. Like we have a time crunch. First of all, we got to make it back to LA by X amount of time because we got a wedding to be to. We still have to find Doug, but now we owe this amount of money. But what's set up nicely too is we can't let Alan gamble because he's like a gremlin. He comes with rules and everything. <laughs> like a gremlin. Yeah. But he's been like reading books on counting cards. So he's like kind of figured out like if I get an opportunity to play cards, I think I'd be pretty good at it. And, and how? <laughs> rolls up like Rain Man to just totally cheat the system. And man, they 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 totally take it to this casino. That's a great moment. We tie have a conversation about Wolf Mother. <laughs> Yeah, interesting use of Wolf Mother in this film, video games, and I 500 Days love, of Summer. I love that song. I do too. Yeah. Joker and the Thief. Mm-hmm. Yes, fantastic. Um, so at the table with the book that Alan has been reading the whole time, he goes through the process of a very Dustin Hoffman-like performance in a tongue-in-cheeky way of counting cards, and the money just rolls in. And who saves the day? Heather Graham. My Jade. girl. Yep. God bless Heather mm-hmm. Graham. Yeah. So we get... Another reintroduction to Heather Graham we haven't seen in 30, 45 minutes. Yeah. And she shows up because at this point, she's Ed Helms' wife, Stu, right? Mm-hmm. Stu and Jade are a couple. And about the time she's picking up that the pit bosses are on to them counting cards, she takes a tumble out of the seat. They rush to her aid. It allows Zach Galifianakis the opportunity to escape, and they've cleaned out this casino for whatever amount. 82000 <laughs> So that'll at least offset some of the cost of the room. So then they go have the standoff here with Mr. Chow in, in the desert, and we think everything's all well to do and this and that, but they're just dealt just a crazy setback here. Ah, what, is this some kind of joke? 
Who the hell is this? That is not Doug. What are you talking about, Willis? That him? No, I'm sorry, Mr. Chow. That's not our friend. He, it's... Mm -hmm. The Doug we're looking for is a white. <laughs> I told you you had the wrong guy, little boy. Damn, Alan, what the fuck you got me into? Well, you know him? Yeah, this is the guy that sold me the bad drugs. How you doing? I didn't sell you no fucking bad drugs. Wait, he sold you the, the Rooflin? Rooflin? I thought about Rooflin. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Where is Doug? I am Doug. Your name's Doug? Yeah, yes, I'm Doug. Uh, but his name's Doug, too. <laughs> Classic mix-up. <laughs> Classic, indeed. <laughs> yeah, the situation's gotten even worse now. So we don't have Doug. We paid Chow all this money. We did all this. We still don't have what we need. We got to get to... It's the next morning. It's Sunday morning. The wedding's like at... Five minutes. Yeah, like six o'clock, like whenever. Yeah. It's bad here. And then like we're, we're kind of we're getting to a pinch and that's where the film catches up with itself. We catch up to the beginning where it started off with this call to his fiance, Tracy, to say we lost Doug. We can't find him. And then in a great kind of moment of piecing it all together, we found out that this... the. This Doug, the drug dealer, sold him the Rooflin. Like, Rooflin, there goes that word again, Rooflin. Why do they call it Rooflin? You're more like end up on the ground than on the roof. <laughs> yeah. Why don't they call it groundies? Or <laughs> this, this and that. That's and, such good. And then Stu's able to kind of piece it together. Like, what did you say? Like, you said about the roof and, and this, you're more liable to end up on the, on the ground than on the roof. And then they kind of piece the, the mattress and Las Vegas hotel room setups and He's like, I know where Doug is, and it's it's a long shot, but maybe hopefully he's up there. It's a race back. <laughs> I always love that moment when they find him too, because again, it dabbles into. I don't know if you noticed, like, kind of with the music, it's it's music that's almost played in like a dramatic situation. Yeah, and they find him, like, hopefully, like that. Maybe hope for the best, and maybe if he's dead up there, like, dear God, if that film goes there, no kidding. And when they find him, and then again, we stick our toe into that cold water. And then we get it out again as we just see him just burnt to a crisp. Like, he's so red. Oh, lobster red. Like, he looked really red on my TV, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> shit. Right. And he's like, I'm getting married today, guys. I've been up here for, like, 36 hours. And, yeah, he's like, just get me just get me there in time. Yeah. And so we do a nice kind of tying up of all the different converging plot lines. And now there's no flights to Los Angeles we got to get there as soon as possible. So what are we going to do? It's just going to be a drive. We're just going to be a drive to get there. But then Stu and Jade have a kind of a nice moment too. And you're going to talk about this a little bit later, I think, coming up of, look, I need my grandmother's ring back. This thing, whole thing was a mistake. But hey, what if I came back here and I take you out on a real date? And we kind of have this this moment. It's it's nice. It's, 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 it's a nice kind of leeway. Okay, so you'd think that we're out of the woods, but we're not because we still have the ticking time bomb element which is the weddings like now mm -hmm. in the script, it's now. So we get the resourcefulness of our, our crew of protagonists calling the mobile transport system to deliver the tuxes. And I love that scene when the car is pulled over to the side and they're getting dressed on the side of the road. They are intent on getting Doug to the wedding on time, but there has been a consequence to what has ensued up to this point. Stu's missing a tooth. Bradley Cooper has a jacked up face because he's been punched. Mauled Zach, by a tiger. Oh, yeah. Mauled by a tiger, mm -hmm. right. Uh, Ed Helms is missing, you know, this. Like, there is, uh, Doug is bright red. Mm -hmm. So they're going to get there, you think. Mm -hmm. 
but it's not like they're going to get there clean. And then the other thing too, that was really well done is the car's ruined. Yeah. So you're going to recognize that the vehicle they're traveling in is not at all what it has been when they left. So there is a natural consequence to the actions that have ensued over the course of these two days. Yeah. And I think that's important because one of the things that you've spoken specifically about, Mm -hmm. and this goes to a totally different genre, but the DC Mm -hmm. canon has no fatality or no weight to the consequence of anyone's actions. You want to talk about that for a minute and how it applies to Hangover? Well, it's real simple. I think, you know, plot lines and film are really killed for me when there's no weight to the actions that that you have and you're able to just kind of keep continuing with no consequence. You said it so well just a second ago that, you know, whether he's sunburned or missing this and the car is wrecked, they're going to get back to Vegas in time, but like literally after the fact. And I, I love that we don't have to see these parts of the movie, but the damage has been done to these guys and to this experience here. And it's, it's, it's handled really well. Yeah. So we get to the wedding, they get there just in not, I think they're late because it looks like everyone's waiting around for them, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which would be so annoying, man. I would hate that if I was mm-hmm. just in the audience there of this wedding, Oh God! but they go through the vows and then kind of, and then go through the reception, but then it's just another great thing. And this is another staple, man. I maybe Joker was missing this element from Todd Phillips, but he's always included this in his films. Um, uh, performance by the Dan Band. Oh, so seductive. I'll take you to the candy shop. I'll let you lick the lollipop. Go ahead, girl, don't you stop. Keep on going till you hit the spot. Oh, you can have it your way. How do you want it? Gonna back that thing up or should I push up on it? Break it down for you now, baby, it's simple. You be a nympho, I'll be a nympho. Got the magic stick, I'm the love doctor. <laughs> How do you hire this guy to play your wedding? As he's rolling up on an 80-year-old couple with Oh, that. it's so funny. Because he's an old school and Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. Singing equally inappropriate songs. Right. <laughs> it's so funny. How did he come to them, do you know? I have no idea. Like, I don't know. that They got to be buddies. Have to be. Yeah, to include them that many times for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, Stu finally grows a conscious. He meets his wife. You're like, oh, my God, Stu, like you're missing a tooth? That's disgusting. How come you didn't avoid my calls and this and that? And he's just like, he's like, because there's been this whole bit because she's had a thing. Like she, she had sex with this um, bartender on a cruise ship. You sure wasn't a bellhop. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't a bellhop or a pilot or and all these things they call him. But she's kind of already been crazy with him she sucks yeah she, you know she's the worst she's literally. the worst yeah i could never be with someone like this <laughs> right and then so like he just lets her have it for like the first time and there's that great shot too i always love that shot of bradley cooper and he's like watching him and he like smiles like finally he's been able to like take this thing by the horns and say i ain't going through with this anymore this is an important point in the film mm-hmm. because what it does is it sets up a wide, wide, wide net or casts a wide net of infinite possibilities for what should come next. Save it. I'm going to. Good. All right. So we wrap this thing up and we got this kind of great final sequence of, man, this was a great wedding and this and that. Then rolls up Alan with this camera and he's like, guys, I found this in the car. A lot of it's, it's a lot worse than we thought. And this is the missing piece that I, mentioned earlier like what happened in that in between there and the structure of this entire story and as we cut to black and we're going to look at this one time and then delete the evidence 
the credits lead us to still photography and I could do a whole spiel on how still photography is used in film night of the living dead, the end of it. Yeah. Oh my God. Right. So good. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a brilliant way to end, end almost famous. Yeah. This is a brilliant way to end this film with the total debauchery, which probably can't be filmed and shown on the screen, right? but in a snapshot still photography, it's palatable and it's, it's insane. It's just craziness. What I like about it, too, is I think the guys at the strip club engaged in some moral debauchery is really overplayed. Mm-hmm. It, as it should be. Right. Yeah. It, we've just seen it before. So mm-hmm. to do it this way, mm-hmm. it gives us enough of a hint of what happened with the previously mentioned interactions with Leslie Chow and everybody else and the Jade Satchel and, and Jade. Tyson, yep. Like it, it ties it all in without having to give it to me because I've just seen that scene a hundred and fifty thousand times. Mm-hmm. Every scene that involves any male in Vegas has something to do with the strip club. And I think it, whether it's the that Tom Hanks film, we've always seen the event, but I think this film's one of the first to really tackle like just the aftermath of dealing with something like this. Right, and I think that's why the film works really well and truthfully as contained as the strip club element might be in the debauchery that went on there the stuff that happens outside of the strip club is more interesting so Mm -hmm. todd phillips again to his credit handles this really well because we get enough of an acknowledgement to pay off what was set up and happened there and then a fully developed sequence of the things that happened after or outside the strip club. Yeah. This man is in complete control of mm-hmm. this story from start to finish. Yeah. To them. Got a couple questions for you, Matt. Yeah. What's your favorite tasting note of this film? I really love the Ed Helms bit on the piano <laughs> that you played. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, just because it showcases him. I'm a huge fan of his, and I think he's an underutilized talent Mm -hmm. in the entertainment industry, and he's got a lot of stuff, but not recognized from Where the Millers to Vacation to, is he even in Where the Millers? I think maybe Yeah, he is. No, he's in in that one. I just think he's really underappreciated. Sure. And this is a moment where we get to see just how talented this guy is. And so, like, I'm pretty sure they didn't cast him knowing that he was missing a tooth. Mm Mm-hmm which then might give one pause about how they came to that. Yeah. Did he say, hey, Todd, you know, I have this missing tooth. Let's play with this. Sure, yeah. And that's also really cool because very few people that are in the entertainment profession choose to use something that makes them less attractive to make them more marketable. Sure. It happens occasionally with, like, the fat actor, Mm -hmm. but he's not that. Yeah. So... I guess it's that that sequence. Yeah. And from what I've read, and it may be just urban legend may not be true, that's all Ed Helms just doing Ed Helms. It, 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 no, I totally believe that. Yeah, me yeah. too. Mine's always been that wake-up aftermath. It's awesome. To me, it, it, it shows so much without dialogue and without any action. It's just a roving camera through a really well-decorated set, but it says more than it really needs to. You get it. They had a crazy night. And the audience that I saw would just laugh their asses off at nothing, at just just silence. That, that's great. That's to the film's testament. Yeah. All right, Matt. What is the? Oh my god! I need to take a shot moment of the film. The scene's so crazy that the only reaction to this scene is, man, I got to take a shot of bourbon or 
Hopefully not gin since that's ruined for me. Do you have yours already? I do. I'll let you go first because I'm trying to decide between like two here. Okay. It's the end credit sequence for me. Like literally it's like I've gone through this crazy journey with these cats and it's been fun. But what the still photography at the end is, it's the cherry on the top of this crazy debaucherous Sunday. And the only thing to do after that is, man, shots and amen to you. Like, <laughs> right. That's that's how crazy it's been this whole journey. It has to be the tiger for me, and it's not the tiger reveal in the bathroom, but it's either who owns the tiger or the tiger in the car, and I'm going to go with who owns the tiger. Tyson. Yeah, that Mike Tyson shows up in this film mm-hmm. was so uncompletely forecasted, mm-hmm. and that he sh- it, it's but it totally works. Yeah. Of course, in this wild tale of these guys in this night that no one remembers yet, no one will ever forget. Of course, Mike Tyson's involved. I mean, Wayne Newton's involved. Yeah. Terror so top. Oh, God. So yeah. why not Mike Tyson, yeah. too? What a and, ghoul he is. Hey, boy. <laughs> not much left of him that isn't Silicon or anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think for the reveal that it's Mike Tyson singing that song, Alfred Molina style in Boogie Nights. It has to be that. Boy, is this the musical element of me coming through on the two tasting notes in this film? That's really what's is. up here. Yikes. What's, who's the master distiller on this film? It's Todd Phillips. Um, that guy has a legacy of film that I think is really, really, really burgeoning on fantastic. Mm -hmm. We'll see what the next decade holds and how much he wants to continue to play. There are not many misses in that. Well, he's dabbled now into pseudo serious filmmaking with Joker. Right. And I know like, again, we had some differences in that. I loved it. You were lukewarm on it. Yeah. But for me, the range that that guy, again, this is treading on hollowed ground. But if you take the range of someone like Wilder, mm-hmm. who could do comedy and drama, and then find a way to sort of intricately put them together, and what I mean is some like it hot in Lost Weekend, that's essentially the hangover and Joker. Yeah, We have something here that I think has been remiss to be appreciated and celebrated. If Todd Phillips gives us another three or four really strong entries, he's up in that list for me. He's, his next one's crucial then. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be pretty good then. Which is, we I don't, don't even know what he's on. Yeah, yet. we don't even know. Yeah, yet. I know. I've yeah. been announced. Joker two, who knows? God, I don't want to see that film. Yeah, as much as I love the first, we don't need that. For me, it's the cast: Bradley okay. Cooper, mm-hmm. Ed Helms, and Zach Galifianakis. To me, this is always a. To me, it is the script good. Okay, that's good. That's well polished. Who's kind of running the show? That's that's got to be good too. But man, if you get three actors in there that don't jive and don't get along. And that could totally derail the whole experience and the whole production. And and it's obvious on screen when people don't have chemistry. Not here. These guys, I found out, were acquaintances prior, which is a plus. And uh, they just got along really well on the set. And it shows. It's it's there's some real good camaraderie there and playing off of each other's strengths and the jokes. And those three guys, I'm a big fan of all three of them. They sell it for me. And again, in 2009, they're relatively, they're not names, not like big names. Right. So to their credit, Master Distillers for me. Good chemistry. Very good chemistry. Yeah. How are you rating this film, Matt? We have Rock Gut, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Look, man, this is one of the 10 best comedies of all time for me. So I think we're seven for seven. That is yeah. Top Shelf Plus. In the 20 must-own films of all time, this is one of mine. Mm -hmm. I love this movie. It's so smart. It's well-written, but it doesn't have to be 
in that snobby what a great the 500 blows bullshit like it is grounded <laughs> and aware of what it is yeah but also to being it aware of where it is it knows what it should deliver sure and that is a comedy that we hadn't seen that was high concept but not so smart that it left people behind and infinitely relatable everybody if not having been in vegas has a story of someone who's been in vegas that's done the B minus, thank God, version of what this film showcases. Mm -hmm. How many bachelor parties are done in Vegas? All of them, mostly. Mm -hmm. And so if one really went south, this is what it would look like. It's yeah. just such a smart mm -hmm. concept. Yeah. Okay, so we've seen that before. Now can you deliver? And the answer is yes. Yeah. And then can you get people that are able to fit the parts? Yep. And then can you assemble a cast cast for the film that works? Yes. Mm -hmm. And did it did it receive the praise and undue <clears throat> undulation that it also deserved? Absolutely. Like this is an absolute masterpiece sure. in the comedy genre. Yeah. Excellent. All right. I'm not gonna go quite that high with with it. it I don't know if it sounds funny for me and it deserves to be, but like to me to put like the hangover and like Raiders of the Lost Ark in like the same kind of shelving sounds weird, but I think maybe even a more appropriate thing for this film would be single barrel. This is a wholly unique comedy that was like four lightning strikes in a bottle yeah. and it was a huge money maker. Like it, like it's, it's our return on investment was great and the repeat, it was total word of mouth. Like, you got to go see this thing. This thing's insane, and it's hilarious. You're going to love it. And naturally, that set up sequel potential. But from everything we just talked about today, whether it's the direction, the screenwriting, the ca the cast, the jokes, all the sound clips we play that have made us crack up, yeah, it's it's a totally unique experience. I'm going to give it a single barrel rate. It's like single barrel plus, though. Like, this is a great comedy. This would be in my top three of the 2000s if I was allowed to include it in there. Right, yeah. Maybe not number one, but it's definitely in the conversation. I really have a great time watching this 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 film back in 2009 and today, and it's been a few years since I've seen it. This is a great rewatch. I'm glad you picked this one as your choice of, man, we need a good laugh now, now today. <laughs> is 2000 to 2010 the best 10-year run of comedy? I don't know. I, I, I kind of want to do the same thing. We'll do Maybe that'll be the flight question for next week. We'll do 80s comedies. Because the and the style is entirely different too. You know what I mean? Like how raunchy were we getting in the eighties? It was more John Hughes. Yeah, it was John Hughes. It was airplane. It was it was it was that kind of that kind of stuff. And it, it's got a different tone and feel to it. So yeah, I don't know. I think comedy has grown up a lot in that decade. So let me ask you another question. Okay, it wouldn't bother me, mm -hmm. but if this movie was pitched on spec today, today. Assuming that Hollywood is not in lockdown quarantine, right? <laughs> and they were, which when it gets going again, yeah. Can this movie get made today? I would say so. You think so? Yeah. You don't think it pushes the envelope on um, being politically correct enough and socially aware? No, enough Tropic Thunder enough. Tropic Thunder couldn't be made today. Everyone would have a fucking conniption about that film today. This film to me is, it's. It's raunchy, but like it knows it's it's raunchy in the setting that it's taking place in. Yeah. Vegas is Sin City, man. Right. And to me, that's timeless. Everyone has bachelor parties. Everyone has these crazy drunken nights and this and that. To me, it's a very relevant type of film. So I think 
yeah, it could still be made today. Again, who are you casting? Like that's to me, that's the glue that holds this whole thing together. Sure. Yeah, that that was just it was perfect. Cause I think I don't know I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if this <clears throat> movie could be made today. People are so worried. What was that um film? God, I can't believe Amy Pascal, the oh killing of um Kim Jong un. What the hell was the name of that film? Oh, the interview. Like if that movie didn't make it, and I know that handles pretty sensitive material and we could get into a whole podcast on what that was and why. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on, on Tropic Thunder. Yeah. Like I think people would laugh behind closed doors and shriek in fainting couch. You should listen to Joe Rogan has a great podcast that yeah, he does. For sure. He interviewed Robert Downey Jr. one day. And I think it was the first time I've ever heard him talk about making Tropic Thunder and he literally said, it was like, this could end my career. And he let his wife read the script. And he says, Robert Denny Jr.'s wife said, this script is so wrong in so many places, but you have to do this movie. Beautiful. And that's kind of what it was. It was very poetic of its time. Um, we still get raunch comedies today. So I think it fits. I don't think it steps on any toes. It's not offending any race or any demographic. It's just a debauch, debauchery type of film to an extent i think it could still be made it's it's the films that touch on uh, on touchy subject material that are little eh, i don't know if we're gonna go there you know what i mean did you see that olivia wilde film that coming of age that was the her version of um super bad that just came out um oh book smart jesus mary and joseph mm-hmm. what an absolute disaster like I, <laughs> I think that's everything that's wrong with comedy right now yeah and i don't want to get into it because a lot of people haven't seen that movie but you should see it and just appreciate what a hunk of garbage warm steaming garbage that film is i'll have to check that one. Oh out. god it, to me comedy plays honestly the the comedy players right now and this is going to sound kind of crazy it's dwayne johnson and kevin hart like i'm with you yeah and and they have a very specific style that's unto themselves it's different than what the hangover is Right. Yeah. It's mostly them being them. Can I say this? And I think this is the perfect segue to the flight. I think, or the nightcap, comedy, much like horror, is able to evolve through the decades. Yeah. Whether it's slapstick with the Marx Brothers and the Stooges, or very Blake Edwardsy and Peter Sellers, or Bill Murray and Caddyshack, or this and that, or whatever the Judd Apatow era is, and whatever it is today, mm-hmm. it's able to evolve with the times, much like horror. And we've talked about that many times right to those two genres that they walk hand in hand but horror's still the bastard stepchild of film genre <laughs> somehow we always weep horror every week don't we uh, yeah because it's awesome i know and we're the three best friends that anybody could have we're the three best friends that anyone could have we're the three best friends that anyone could have and we'll never never ever 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 leave each other we're the best three friends that anybody could have that sounds ad lib too. You know what I mean? For sure. Totally just like on the cuff. Come yeah. up with the song. Whatever comes to you, do it. And that's what they did. Yeah. Why don't you hit us with the nightcap? I know you're excited about this one. Okay. So the nightcap is looking at the sum total of what the hangover became with two and three, and then reimagining what the better path forward was for this. For the third entry in this franchise to be a crime heist caper is com- nonsensical as an understatement. Mm hmm. Two is barely stomachable. 
So I'm going to hit you with this, Jesse, from where the hangover one ends, give me the layout or concept for the hangover part two, if it had been done the way we wanted. Can you go first? Cause I just don't, I don't want to step on whatever you're doing. Yeah. yeah. So anytime we do these, it's based on personal preference, obviously. Sure. Yeah. I've been in love with Heather Graham since 1996 in Swingers. <laughs> so there's like her, Jennifer Connelly, and Selma Hayek are on my Mount Rushmore of forever. It's a good Mount Rushmore. Thank you. Yeah. Send that, huh? Yeah, yeah. What I want is the engagement or post-wedding party of Ed Helms as Stu and Heather Graham as Jade back in Vegas. Mm -hmm. So we go to the wedding. Obviously he's kicked his girl to the curb and to that, thank you for goodbye and good riddance. Yes. And then we pick it up post wedding three or four months later. Mm -hmm. The opening scene is the date that Ed Helms proposes to Jade at the end of the hangover. Mm -hmm. So we pick it up with that. Okay. And then if you want to go time elapsed six months later, it's to the post-wedding party as the two of them get to know each other. And here what we have is dueling bachelorette party and dueling bachelor party. So we get the guy's version of what happens debauchery and the girl's version of what happens debauchery. Yeah. Because Heather Graham is going to have her own crew. And if they're all strippers, look out. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I want. And then we get both of them going, and then you get to play on a lot of tropes and you get to cross a lot of lines because this movie, The Hangover, mostly just hits the male piece of this. Definitely. But if you can tackle the female one too, there's plenty of stuff and shtick that you can lay out there as oh, yeah. well. Oh, yeah. That's what I want. Ah, that sounds great. Yeah. And it could even be they wake up the next morning, post parties. Like, who cares? That concept worked. Mm-hmm. Use it again. Yeah. I don't care if you do the exact same thing again from the male and female perspectives. Yeah. There's a lot more that's left undeveloped there. But to go to Singapore or wherever the hell they go in the second one is just preposterous and no one cared. I don't yeah. care what anyone says. No one cared about that. It was more of fucking monkeys and just bullshit. It was more do the same thing, but just change the locale. Right. And I, I haven't cared about a monkey since Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that way they used it in that second film. Chilled monkey brains. <laughs> right. I have a real hard problem with uh, comedy sequels. There's very few that I think can st- airplane the sequel, Caddyshack 2, Ghostbusters. Are you kidding me? Yeah, like, right. It's very slim pickings. Yeah. Maybe Meet the Fockers. I kind of like that one. I think they set up a real good thing here in the first one with the character of Alan and because he's just kind of like the bastardized just version with his own family. And then within this collective of this wolf pack, but I think there was seedlings planted in this, but by the end, especially in that song where there's a good understanding of all these guys, they like him. They just won them $80,000 at the the blackjack table. I don't want to see, well, I do want to see your movie. That'd be great. Maybe, maybe the, maybe I'll do the third movie, but I want to see Alan taking the plunge. But I want to see that kind of family camaraderie dynamic. I don't want to go back to Vegas, but maybe they take like a fishing trip or like something just totally different. High school reunion to get the girl he didn't get in high school. Or something like that. Yeah, something. Something associated with him where they're now have he's the the crux of the situation and they're having to help him 
out of that. Yeah. And I think there's an understanding there. You see how much he idolizes Phil Bradley Cooper, whereas he takes the stand to plant him something amazing. Mm-hmm. That'd be really awesome to see. And uh, I want to say one of the best film sequels to me or uh, comedy sequels is 22 Jump Street because it takes the concept of the first movie and Ice Cube at times in that film says, do the same thing again, infiltrate the dealers, find the suppliers. So the film plays out the exact same way as the first film. And it's not until halfway through where they realize that's not going to work this time. And then it becomes its own animal for the that's that's taking the idea of what hangover 2 is do the same thing again just change it up right whereas that film follows the same path as this first one right and it kind of goes on its own legs so i'd kind of like to kind of take that approach too where it kind of follows those same lineages of a crazy night but then it totally goes into its own territory for a sequel i think we have number two and number three set up Mm -hmm. if you want to go there because where it went is kind of insane. The know? head scratcher of all head scratchers. <clears throat> well, you want to talk about budget too. We talked about thirty-five million with this one. It, it skyrocketed to like ninety million for part two. I just don't know why they chose to set it abroad. Yeah. The thing about Vegas is everyone knows it in some manner. So if you're going to go to Party City International, why wouldn't you go to Rio or? I, I don't know, but to go to middle of wherever Asia, Bangkok, no one cares, and yeah. and that might be party. That might be the ASU of the Orient, the ASU, right? So that's good, but no one cares. Yeah, and Chow was a really interesting side character, mm-hmm. but to build two and three around him, too much, is too much. Yeah. He should have, I don't even know if I needed any more of If him. I could have been an executive in the room at Warner Brothers, I was like, okay, we got this huge hit right now. We need to get a second one, like fast track, like quick. Just give them more of what this was successful on. Put them in a crazy situation. They got to figure, it, it literally follows the same beat. Stu literally figures it out in that film like he did in this one. Mm-hmm. And it's of uh, his future brother-in-law that's missing this time. It's just, it's too similar for its own good. Okay. So this happens a lot Mm -hmm. in music and in film. So for every rumors album that comes out, how many times are we shaking our head with the release of Tusk to follow? (laughs) That's not an, that's not a bad album in and of itself. It's hard to follow up success. Okay, so Citizen Kane and the Magnificent Ambersons. Yeah. We can go on and on. The Sixth Sense and the fucking rest of your career. Well, we like Unbreakable. You know what I mean, though. Yeah. Okay, so we can go on and on with that. But to take this, which was so set up in many different ways, which essentially involves the celebration or rehabilitation of romance that is bachelor parties wedding parties baptismal parties divorce parties at locations we're familiar with the possibilities are infinite Mm -hmm. i mean it could even be something as simple as we're celebrating you leaving this terrible girlfriend who banged out whoever the hell it was on this cruise right i don't know why you chose to leave the setting that you had, you could have even done it in New Orleans. Yeah. I just don't know why you chose Bangkok. I, I like it is beyond 
puzzling yeah. to me why that was the location. I think it was just rushed. I think that's the thing. It was just so put together so quickly. But okay, so yeah, you're right. Yeah. But if it's rushed like that, don't you use what you've already set up because that will speed it along instead of having to create a brand new you think, wheel. You think. Just keep rolling it down the hill. Like, do you think you would do that? The wheel's round. Keep it rolling. Yeah. Don't try to take this this square and make it a wheel. I'd love to because me, my personality, I like if something's said that I just like I can't like roll with. I like I have to say something. I'd love to be in one of those rooms where like they're like pitching like a film like that or oh, yeah. any another sequel where it's just like, guys, I think <laughs> this is such a good idea. Like, let's do it's stupid, really. Like, that's what I want to say. Have you ever seen that? Key and Peel skit. Oh, the, the gremlins, gremlins too. too. Oh my god! That, can it, you get me a gremlin that has has, has the titties and, and, and the <laughs> lipstick? Oh yeah, get that, get that in the film. I actually don't think that's too far from. That's probably how it happened. The way it goes. Yeah, and they're just they're terrified. They're terrified by power, right? And literally, what's it takes so long to get in the door that you don't want to fuck up your password. You know what I mean? You kind of have to. Right. Play, you kind of have to play ball. Yes, and that kind of sucks. It is. Yeah, we don't have to play ball. We. Just, Bang away. <laughs> Bang away. Swing away, Meryl. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. This was a lot of fun talking about The Hangover and revisiting this film. Next week, it's my turn to pick. Yeah. I am picking from 1982, directed by Amy Heckerling, written by Cameron Crowe, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Matt, are you excited to watch this film? I cannot wait. Yes. This has always been a favorite of mine just because I just, I love how it tackles the characters, high school the soundtrack. We get to talk about Stevie Nicks next week and just a bunch of crazy things. Jennifer Jason Lee and Phoebe Cates and Judge Rhino and Sean Penn. And Cameron Crowe. Yeah. It's going to be a great conversation. And yeah, it's it's another comedy, but like and it gets serious at times too. There's some crazy moments in that film. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to talk about. And you, the listeners, going to roll it out on Instagram this week. Choose film three that we're going to review in this cast. And it can be whatever you want to be. As long as it's comedy. So the way that's going to go is just put your vote in. We'll put all of them in the hat, and then we'll pull it out. We'll probably do that live so you can see it, and that'll be the movie that we do in the third week in this cast. So it's up to you. We need your votes this week. We'll do that on next week's episode. I beg you all, please (laughs) don't do Dumb and Dumber. And you told Brett not to do Step Brothers. I know one of those two is going to hit. Yeah. Maybe we'll get the uh, next version of um, Inglorious Bastards. Okay. I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I hope not either. I hope we get some good stuff in there because there's so many things to pick from. Yeah. Excellent. Anything, anything comedy. Excellent. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. Cheers. I got to get going. I got to go plan a vacation to Vegas once this whole quarantine thing's lifted. I hope it doesn't go the way that this film went. Well, if you get murdered by a crystal meth tweaker, <laughs> you're shit out of luck. I, I'm sure. I sure am. Yep. Excellent. Have a good week, everybody. Everybody have a great week. We will see you in the dark. Thank you for listening. To Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a comment at Productions at gmail.com. The Hangover is property of Warner Brothers Pictures, Legendary Pictures, Green Hat Films, and Bender Spink. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Are you nuts? I want to find out how I wind up in the hospital. Is that in there? Yeah, it's in there. Guys, one time. Deal? Deal. Deal.
classic. 